In the book of Daniel today, I mentioned that the end of chapter 4 takes us right to the good news of the gospel, but we don't have to wait until then. We can come to it right now in the reading of the gospel. And so I invite you, friends, to stand as we come to Matthew chapter 11, beginning in the 28th verse this morning. Jesus speaks to us here in the gospel today. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we enter back now into the book of Daniel together, let me take a moment as I have these last couple of weeks and recap where we've been. Today we remember that we live in this beautiful land, but it is a high desert with many, spiritually speaking, not knowing that they are dehydrated and need the life-giving waters of our Lord Jesus. We live at a time as often has been, and we see it here in Daniel, where the world tries to redefine us. We heard Nebuchadnezzar himself do that again in chapter 4 this week, calling Daniel Belshazzar the name after the gods of Babylon when he is in fact a person of God, a son of Israel. His name means truly my judge is God Elohim, the one true God. And so we remember in this world that continues to try and redefine us that God is calling us to be resolved. And He doesn't do that in a vacuum. In the midst of the difficulty of this life and of this world, He is with us. Even when the world tries to redefine us, He will be with us in the furnace. He is the God who does not forsake us, but is with us and comes to us. And so today, as we come to Daniel chapter 4, we get another dream. And in this dream, it's harrowing. And even for Daniel, disturbing. And we'll discover both the law and the gospel for us, I think, as we walk through this text together. I think two images will help us, two contrasting images will help us capture and pick up and understand just what God is saying to us today. The first comes to us from a group called The New Discoveries who posted this photo this week of astronaut Bruce McCandless. The second who became the first human being to do a spacewalk in 1984 without the benefit of a physical tether. With nothing but his manned maneuvering unit keeping him alive. That's astronaut McCandless, that dot back in the back of the photo. He is, I think, a 
on his own, left to literally his own devices, right? And I saw this photo this week. It made me, maybe because I'm so steeped in the, this chapter, it made me think of what we're walking through this week and how we often think about life. I don't know about you, but sometimes this image is how life feels. Untethered in the cold, left to our own devices. Sometimes we think even falsely, well, maybe this is how it should be. After all, I should be able to get there myself. Maybe even when we know better that we were made to be in community, made to be in relationship with the one true God. And yet somehow we have something inside of us that thinks, well, I should be able to do it on my own. And yet we know how lonely and scary this untethered world really is. We feel that way, however, as we'll learn in Daniel 4, because of human pride. As amazing and remarkable of engineering and courage that this photo represents, it doesn't represent how we are called to live our lives. Untethered, left to our own devices, and out in the cold on our own. Instead, we'll hear that God calls us from our pride to his grace. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel is dismayed. He's dismayed because he understands the dream that he hears. When you turn the page, and I hope you will, into your own devotional life this week in verses 24 and 37, which I'll summarize for us this morning, we'll find Daniel having heard this dream. Not about a statue this time, but a tree, right? Reaching to the sky. Not unlike the Tower of Babel that we know would come crashing down. Daniel knew it too. And so he was dismayed for what it meant for Nebuchadnezzar. And you think for a moment, what? He's dismayed? Why isn't he whooping it up? His oppressor, this king who's brought him into exile, is finally going to be brought low. Woot woot, right? But that's not how he responds. He's dismayed because he knows the call that God has given him and God's people in Jeremiah 29.7 where it says to pray for the city of your exile and the people who you're in with it. Or as Jesus said, as we learned in Luke 6, to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate you. And so he was dismayed because he knew what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see, that pride indeed comes before the fall. And he could see the fall coming. In our human hearts, we want to believe the lie that God helps those 
who help themselves. For if we believe that, then we think that somehow we earn our own salvation. Somehow we make ourselves uh, right before God instead of the gift that comes from Him and Him alone. In fact, in our culture today, we even have pride celebrations that throw off God's Word like they're chains instead of a gift as a way of life. And so when we understand the gift of God's Word as the one true way, we understand they're not chains but a gift. It's the first use of the laws I'll talk about later where the Word gives us the way of life. And in the leading quickly to the second use of the law, when we can't do it, it leads us straight to the good news of the Gospel. Or I like how Kelly M. Capick wrote it in a book, Introduced to Me, My Wife, You're Only Human. The ancient church thought that there was a clear link not only between Jesus and Adam, as we see in the Scriptures, but also between Mary and Eve. That link, however, he writes, contained the contrast that whereas Eve was disobedient, Mary trusted in God. Eve was tempted to think that her limitations, the limitations that God had given her by His Word, were chains that should be thrown off. Whereas Mary believed that in her smallness, God, as Capic writes, would delight to accomplish His grandness. In her smallness, God would accomplish His grandness. This is the opposite of pride. This is receiving this gift that God has for us. Daniel 4 begins and ends uh, with what literary uh, reviewers will call an inclusio. Similar to that chiastic structure that we've become familiar with to pay attention to what's in the middle. In this case, uh, the middle betrays What's on the beginning and the end? In verse 4 and verse 34, there's a doxology or a, a blessing, both by Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4 shifts gears a little bit, and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we hear his voice in first person. It's not that I don't believe that Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe that first blessing at the beginning of the chapter, it's that. He believed that God would bless him because he was so great. (laughs) You ever say a prayer like that? God, thank you that I'm just so good. (laughs) Right? Now you say, oh no, I've never done that. Only to really think it when we think to ourselves, well, I've done everything right. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, if you really want to see how he's still missing the point, just read verse 8 and 9 again. And there you'll discover, as he doubles down on calling Daniel Belteshazzar, missing the point of him being acquainted with the highest of the holy gods, 
Missing the point that there's really only one true God. King Nebuchadnezzar is quick to take credit for all the good things that he has accomplished in his kingdom. Look how good I am. And lest we judge Nebuchadnezzar, we're quick to do the same. To thank God for all of his blessings. And then think, boy, didn't I work so hard? Whew. Look at me. That is what one pastor called cosmic plagiarism. Cosmic plagiarism. To forget that every good gift comes from God. That same pastor would describe that cosmic plagiarism like this one, thinking about things like the tithe. He gave an illustration that a tithe looks something like this. Someone gives you a loan for $10,000 and then only asks you to return a thousand of it. We would think in a story like that, well, what, what generosity, what gift? But sometimes when we think of giving or the tithe, we think, well, maybe that thousand's just too much. Instead of realizing that actually the whole gift is the Lord's. And we're called to just respond with love and joy and generosity. And so Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar and says, let me show you what it looks like to live with humility. In verse 27, it's to be generous with those in need. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar, like us, like me, uh, who's quick to thank God for his blessings and then quick sometimes to take credit for them, right? I hope you're not like that. But I think we all are because that pride in our sinful condition seeps in. And Nebuchadnezzar would fall to that pride as we'll keep reading in this chapter. As he becomes... Driven by his pride, he ends up, as we'll read in the following verses in the chapter, to go insane just like the dream predicted. Thinking of himself as an animal who can only, what does an animal do? As much as I love my dog and he wakes up with me in the morning, uh, I know as soon as he's fed and walked, He's off doing his own thing again, right? Animals focus on their own needs, but God creates us to be empathetic as he is empathetic for us. And so Nebuchadnezzar falls to this insanity and lives life as an animal. Now don't take this to mean that mental illness is a curse from God. This is a descriptive part of the scriptures to illustrate something from the history of Nebuchadnezzar's life, not a prescription for how God works in yours. The illustration is what matters for us today to hear. To not fall into an animalistic, prideful way of life. 
But notice what God does. He doesn't give up on King Nebuchadnezzar. For we are God's work of art and he is working to lead us to the good news of the gospel. And so Daniel preaches that gospel, that good news, first with the law. Nebuchadnezzar, this is how you should live. And this text, as scholars will write, become a perfect illustration of law and gospel because as the first use of the law is evident in God attempting to curb Nebuchadnezzar's pride and arrogance, when he falls short of that like we often do, he doesn't stop there. Remarkably, by God's grace, he restores him. After being deposed from power, God restores him before he dies. And he repents. And as it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. The law then brought Nebuchadnezzar to the gospel that he needed saving grace. This is the good news for Nebuchadnezzar. This is the good news for us when we fall short and we will. This is the law and the gospel. This is the promise of salvation for us right here in Daniel. And no, we may not always walk the path that Jesus calls us to, but He always speaks His Word to us and leads us to that gospel truth. And He invites us, as we heard in Matthew today, to come to Him. His yoke is easy, though this world may not always feel so easy and there may be a furnace or two in it, He will be with us. I saw a pastor friend of mine post this week that uh, if only we would be more like Jesus, some say, then others would come to the church in droves. And there's some truth to that. Except that Jesus acted the most like Jesus, didn't He? And that led Him to the cross and crucifixion. So Jesus tells us even in those hard moments, those furnace moments, He will be with us. And so He gives us not a picture like this one, off left to our own devices, but rather a picture like this, where He has the world in His hands. And He says to you and to me, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we're tempted to think it's our strength, God gives us another image. He's got this. It's all about Him. And the, every good gift comes from Him. Come to me, He says. He has the world in His hands. Let the law lead you. Let it take you to the redemption of the Gospel. Not as chains, 
but as a gift. The world may want to lead you off on your own, but the gospel leads you into the very presence of God. Let us come humbled to this free gift when we come to this table of grace today. For grace is the gift that God gives us. It's an unearned gift that costs the giver everything for you. Amen.